What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB, E-T-H-O-S FantasyBB. We post all of our podcasts, articles, different news and notes, and all of our baseball content over there. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it, then you guys can go to SportsEthos.com for all of that same great content. Remind you guys here, uh, again, I did it yesterday, but go and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. I know there are a lot of you who have already done this, but there are some of you guys who will find the show through different links. I'll see that, you know, between five and ten people every day will click the link through our Twitter page, which is cool. Uh, but if you're doing that and you're not subscribing to it, then please go and hit that plus or whatever sign it is on your podcasting app. It helps us. It helps you out. Uh, it's more convenient for everybody. So I really appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, it is Tuesday, so we are going to be doing another mailbag. We actually got a lot of questions today. It's it's kind of weird how the mailbags work sometimes. There are times when I post it. Same time, most uh, Tuesdays when we do it, I'll post it kind of like noon hour uh, Eastern time around 9 a.m. Pacific. And sometimes I'll get as many as like 50 questions. I've gotten, I think the most we ever got for a mailbag was like 60 questions or something earlier in the year. And then sometimes there's like 10 or 12 questions. I think it's really random. It's maybe if people... I don't know, are happening to, to see that tweet that day or if they're on Twitter or whatever uh, that day. It's kind of random. It is weird. But we got a good chunk of questions today. We got about 20 of them to go through, and we are going to start off right now. Uh, I got a question here that's more of like a general kind of uh, question here that's saying, uh, starting pitchers to buy low on either through trade or someone on the IL, uh, looking to stockpile them for a deep playoff run in a 10-team head-to-head categories league. Now, at this point of the year, it's kind of hard to be buying low and selling high. I think people generally know what they have in a particular asset, and it's also kind of hard at this point of the year to really see tangible changes when there is such a small sample size left to go. There's only, for the average starting pitcher, seven starts left in the year, eight starts left in the year. What they have given us up to this point of the season is not always going to work this way, but generally... Uh, you would kind of know who they are for this year. There are there are things that change, and there are players who are overperforming and underperforming their metrics. Yesterday's show, I was looking at five starting pitchers who've kind of underperformed their metrics, and it's kind of a buying opportunity for next year. But I do think it is kind of difficult at this time of year to be saying, yeah, I'll buy low on <clears throat> whatever pitcher you want to be saying it is uh, who's been underperforming. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a, a, a big example of like an underperformer. I don't even know. Like, a, I don't know, Christian Javier, let's say, if you want to try and bet on him bouncing back or if you want to maybe, I don't know, buy like a Lance Lynn or, or somebody of that nature or maybe somebody who's already started to turn it around like Sandy Alcantara. Maybe these are bad examples, but I just think that it's kind of tricky at this time of year to, to pull off those buy low and sell high trades. There's only about six, seven weeks left. I think it's six weeks left in the season, maybe seven, but it, we're really down to the point of the year where I think people are kind of holding on to their assets and most of your remaining, uh, you know, acquisitions are going to come through the waiver wire. And my recommendation is to just, especially in those really shallow formats, just try and stream uh, starting pitchers in a 10 team league. There are a ton of viable starting pitchers on the waiver wire. I don't know that necessarily stockpiling them through trades is going to really work so much because it's really tricky to figure out in advance 
who's going to have good matchups, what those rotations, what those pitchers are going to be looking like uh, in a couple of weeks' time as teams start to maybe see that they're out of the playoff picture. That might change how they utilize their rotations, certain pitchers that they don't want to have exceed innings limits, that maybe they would have pushed them if their team was in a playoff spot. They see the team is, you know, officially eliminated or, or what have you, that those pitchers kind of go down. I think that it is a, a risky game to play to try and trade for pitchers at this point of the season. I think that you can play the matchup game on the waiver wire. You look and you see who has good matchups on a particular night or a particular week. And I think that that's the way to go, uh, not just even in the most shallow formats, but I think in a lot of formats, that's something that's really going to be beneficial. Is not, I mean, a lot of leagues you can't even trade at this point anymore. So the point is kind of moot. But in the leagues where you can, I just don't know that, A, you're going to be able to actually pull off those buy low and sell high deals like you think you're going to be able to in your head. And then even if you do, I don't know that you want to be looking at those kind of matchup games this far ahead. I think that's the beauty of streaming. You get to see in the short term, okay, I'm going to pick this guy up tomorrow. He started against this team. You start looking ahead this early towards schedules, you can kind of generally do it. And even maybe he's looking at guys who are like underperforming or whatever, but even guys who have been underperforming, you don't know if they're necessarily just going to turn it around at this point of the season. There are some guys who, once they get through a certain point of the season and they've performed, you know, with X stats, that's just how they're how they are going to look for this season. A guy who has underperformed or overperformed, usually at this point of the year, it does vary case by case, but generally this is kind of what they are at this point. So I don't know that there's gonna be a lot of value in buying low and selling high. I think uh, the best thing you guys can be doing right now is just be very active on your waiver wires. Start to look at those matchups a little bit, but only do it on kind of like a week-by-week basis. There are so many changes that we see with guys getting called up and sent down, getting injured, especially with pitchers. So many damn pitcher injuries. You know, I was talking with Jeff Erickson when I was on the Rotowire pod last week, and he was saying that injuries are up the pitcher is something like 45% this year. So that's just a whole other variable. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble trying to look too far ahead. Even though it's only a few weeks, it is a really important time of year. And the guy just saying the question, you know, looking to stockpile them for a deep playoff run, I just don't know if that's the wisest uh, thing to be doing at this point of the season. I would just be really aggressively using uh, the waiver wire at this point. All right, next question. Uh, do you think Elias Diaz comes back to early season form? He is close to droppable at this moment for me, but wondering if I need to keep holding. Elias Diaz, uh, I have him in a couple of leagues. The leagues where I do have him, though, they're two catcher formats. <clears throat> and so you're, there's not really much you can do on the waiver wire in two catcher formats. Every now and then there's, you know, there was a Henry Davis and you know, Andy Rodriguez, Alvarez getting called up earlier in the year. There are random uh, players like that that get added to the pool, that get added up, whatever, Bo Naylor. Uh, not that he's been so great, but you know there are there are different examples uh, like that in two catcher formats where you know there are extra guys that come in. And you can afford to kind of drop those other dudes, but for the most part, you kind of have who you have. And if you have Diaz, he hasn't been great. Like if if you're looking at recently, but over the course of the season, he's been pretty good still. Uh, Eleven homers, fifty-one ribbies. He's batting two sixty-three for a catcher who's playing you know pretty much every single day. That's really good. I think in those one-catcher leagues, you can probably drop him and stream the position if you're talking about a 10-team, 12-team, one-catcher league. I think there are more than enough options there where you can act, you can actually stream and you don't need to be rostering Elias Diaz. He's still probably like in that top 15 kind of range, back end of the top 15. But I could see there being an argument for like the whole week if they're away from Coors Field. You can drop him and you can pick up somebody else's stream. I don't know if somebody else is going to be sprinting to the waiver wire to go and add him. So I think two catcher formats, you're still holding on to Elias Diaz. 
in your one catcher formats, I have no problem moving on. Uh, picked up Jordan Hicks after Romano got injured. Play in a save holds league. Worth keeping Hicks now that Romano is back. I don't really think so. I was looking at Jordan Hicks earlier, and I think there is 18 uh, combined saves and holds that he has so far this season. I just don't know how many of those we're really going to be seeing uh, down the stretch. You know, he's got a couple of saves since he's come to Toronto, I believe, which is fine. Uh, but you're not going to be seeing any of those with Jordan Romano back. There is also the question of, well, can Romano, um, you know, is he going to be able to actually stay healthy? Because a back injury, you never really know what that's going to look like. Um, I, I just don't know that he is going to be somebody that does get a lot of holds, that it is going to be worth uh, holding Jordan Hicks down the stretch run. I don't think it's horrible just to maybe see uh, over the next couple of days what it looks like. But again, it's not like his like ratios have been that good that you want to be necessarily holding him at all costs kind of thing. Uh, he's got a 380 ERA. He has a 150 whip on the season. There are better relievers out there that you can look at, and we're going to get to that in another question uh, in, a, in a couple of minutes here, about relievers that you can stream that are going to be giving you holds, that are going to be giving you better ratios. Now, the strikeouts are, are pretty good for Jordan Hicks. You know, he's got like a 30% strikeout rate. But I think that he is pretty replaceable if he's not going to be getting uh, those saves anymore. And it's a save-holds league. There are a lot more viable options. So I do not think that Jordan Hicks is necessarily a must-roster. Again, if you want to hold on just for a few days to see if there's anything that goes awry with Romano's back, and maybe he does have some – I hope nothing happens here. You guys know I'm a Jays fan. I hope he's fine. But if something does happen, he tweaks something again, then Hicks is the guy that they were going to there. So I wouldn't really have a problem uh, just for a couple of days, maybe a week holding on. But uh, even that, like, I, I think that there are probably better options in, in a save-hold league. He did get three saves and one hold uh, so far as a Blue Jay, but I just don't see there being that many more uh, of those opportunities coming up for him. Uh, one guy said he's been holding on to Ronnie Mauricio since the beginning of the season in redraft. Easy drop, easy drop. I don't, I don't know. There's no point there, really, unless you have like a bunch of, of minor league spots then maybe, but I don't know that they're maybe, I mean, maybe they call him up at the end of the season. Uh, maybe he gets, you know, some ABs down the stretch. Uh, he's working at third base uh, in AAA. I, I, I don't know. He's, he's done pretty well in the minors this season, but in redraft format, unless you have a bunch of minor league spots, I, I don't see any need to hold on uh, to Ronnie Mauricio. Uh, Cole Reagans or Silseth, uh, other goes to the wires, a 12-team uh, head-to-head cats. I'm going to be going with, with Silseth there, with Chase Silseth. I'm uh, giving myself a bit of a lisp there. Uh, he's been really good. He's been, uh, over the last month, he's been nearly a top 25 player. 22 innings, he's got three victories, 31 strikeouts. He's got a 159 ERA and a .88 whip. There's been some question of whether or not he will maintain his spot in the rotation, but I think it's pretty safe to say that he's going to be secure. Uh, you know, they have had bad Tyler Anderson this year Reed Detmers has struggled they just got Griffin K9 back uh canning back from the injured list but I, I don't know that there's really going to be enough arms there especially Otani is missing a start or he starts getting pushed back because he's feeling fatigued so there are going to be opportunities for Silseth to get run down the stretch here Cole Reagans is somebody that I like but at the end of the day if you're choosing uh, between these two guys I would have to go with uh with Silseth here uh, Reagan's has had a couple of good starts last time out. It was a little bit tough, but it was against St. Louis. We were kind of, you know, I cautioned here on the show that if you're going to stream him, uh, it was kind of risky. And I did say, if you, you should probably add him 
And then, you know, in your 10, 12-team formats, he's probably a sit. I did say in 15-teamers, you're probably starting him just because there's really not a hell, hell of a lot else you got going on. But I, at this point, um, you know, he's still a hold. But if the option is him or Chase Silseth, uh, I'm going with Chase there. I feel like I said Silseth like a million times over that segment. Let's move on. Uh, Royce Lewis or Mikel Garcia, rest of season, which would provide the best value? Royce Lewis is just coming back. Uh, he did very well before he got hurt. You know, it's easy to forget. He didn't have a lot of run, 95 at-bats, but he batted 326. He had four homers. He had a uh, stolen base. He's going to be back uh, tonight. He's in the lineup, and he's batting third against the Tigers. That being said, though, uh, Michael Garcia, Michael Garcia, he's been like a top 100 player over the last month, top 50 player over the last two weeks. Uh, you know, if you look at the whole season, even, you know, it's 319 at bats, which is a pretty good sampling. Four homers, 18 steals. He's batting 288. He's got 80 runs in RBIs combined and 31 of them over the last month. You know, he's getting regular ABs pretty much every single day. He is the leadoff hitter there in that Royals lineup, which has run pretty hot recently. So I have to go with Garcia there. Um, next question, and we're going to address something that I haven't addressed yet on the show. I did talk about it on Twitter, and people have very mixed opinions on me airing my opinion on this at all. But let's get into it. Uh, so I have an offer that is a bit of a gamble in a redraft league. Acquiring Wander Franco and John Duran for Ellie Dela Cruz. I have C.J. Abrams to replace Ellie in my daily lineup. So uh, before I answer this, I tweeted out the other day that if you have Wander Franco, whatever format you have him in, it is probably prudent to look into selling him. I think that we're probably heading down a road where, at the very least, he's not going to play again this season. And beyond that, it could potentially get even worse. Uh, there was uh, a report today. It was an article from Mark Topkin, who is the Rays beat writer for one of the newspapers down there in Tampa. And it appears that there was like a second incident. Uh, I'm not going to get into the details. If you don't know, then you can go and find them yourself. It's all over the internet. Uh, but there was apparently like a second incident that was from July that was just coming to light now that uh, they knew about in the Dominican. We're not sure about if the Rays knew or not, but it seems like this is getting stickier and stickier, the situation uh, with Franco. A lot of people are saying, cut them from your teams, cut them, cut them. I, that's, I wouldn't be doing that, regardless of what happens. Uh, right now, he is, and you, it's kind of awful to do this, but you have to look at these players, if you're playing fantasy, as assets. You can think about it as stocks. The players are essentially stocks, which is, I know, it, it can come off as sounding inhumane or horrible or whatever, but at the end of the day, that's the brass tax of what we're, we're doing here. The market, the stock of Franco is currently declining, declining, declining. You should probably at this point get out before there's really nothing left. And again, that is the gamble that we're talking about with stocks. But I had some people when I tweeted out the other day that exact thought that, you know, get out now where there's some value left because it could get to a point where he never plays again. I had some people that were saying you should just cut him. If you had a stock and you found out that the owner of the company that you invested in was doing something horrible, I think it's more likely than not that you wouldn't just throw away your shares of that company. You would likely try to get something back for them. It's no different here. If you want to cut him, then, I mean, you can do that if you want to. I, I wouldn't because, first of all, we don't even know fully if the what what's going on here. This could all turn out to be false allegations. Things can be put together by computers, AI, whatever. We, we don't know yet. The, the world we live in is very complicated, and we shouldn't rush the judgment on these things. But the way that it's trending, I think that it was would be prudent to try and just get rid of them uh, at this point. Whether you want to look at it from a moral standpoint, 
which you can absolutely do that. Again, we shouldn't fully rush the judgment because we don't know what we've seen so far looks pretty, pretty bad. Um, but again, we, we fully don't know, but at the same time, the stock is very bad and I don't think that it is going to be rebounding anytime soon. So if you can get out, then get out. Now this offer, um, Franco and Duran for Ellie Dela Cruz, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not acquiring, uh, it's, it's a redraft league, but regardless, uh, I'm not trading away Ellie Dela Cruz. Duran is nice, but Franco is probably not playing again this season. Uh, I am there. There's no situation where I am going to try and acquire Wander Franco to one of my teams. Trade him away, yes. Get him off your team, yes. If you really want to, you can drop him, sure. It's not what I'm advising. If you really want to do that, sure. But under no circumstances am I advising you to be on the other side of that. Do not go out and acquire him. Some people will be mad at me for even talking about this. But at the end of the day, you guys come here to, and you follow me on Twitter to see my takes about fantasy baseball. And for every now and then, I'll bullshit with some memes or messing around with some of the people I know on there, whatever. But you guys don't come to me for the morality, legal side of it. I don't know the legal side of it. I can just tell you my opinion from a fantasy baseball point of view. And I'm sorry if some people don't like me discussing it at all. If you listen to any of the major podcasts, everybody's talking about it. To some extent, it needs to be talked about. And I think I've addressed it enough there. Not going to talk about it again until we hear more on it, until we really fully know more of the situation. It's still an evolving story. Again, it could look very stupid in a couple of weeks to have sold out on the shares or whatever. It could look like a really good move if you're in a dynasty league or whatever. But I'm going to leave it there. We fully don't know. We kind of just have to wait for the situation uh, to, to fully play out more. But let's move on. Uh, let's talk about the next thing. There was a question that I alluded to earlier about favorite relief pitchers available on waiver wire for ratio reduction. So there's a couple of them I pointed out. Joel Piamps. Joel Piamps has been really excellent this whole season. It's kind of flown under the radar. I tweeted it out a couple weeks ago. I may have mentioned it here on the pod as well. But if you're looking at Yahoo player rankings, he's nearly a top 50 player. He's just, uh, he's 57th, actually, if you look at the whole season. He has four wins and three saves, which is very nice, just chip in stats. 62 strikeouts over his 51, or excuse me, 55 and a third innings. A 179 ERA and a .87 whip. And if you're looking at what he's done recently, it's the same thing. A 164 ERA and a .64 whip over the last month, which is 11 innings. He's done very well. He's usually coming out there for an inning. I think he's capable of going a little more if they need him to do that. And he's going out there pretty much every time, giving you one, two strikeouts, and very rarely ever allowing runs. So he's the first guy that I would point out there if you're just looking to kind of reduce your ratios. Uh, Tyler Holton is another one as well. A lot of you are probably saying, who the hell is Tyler Holton? He's 1% rostered. He's a reliever for the Tigers. And there's a couple names I'm going to talk about here that you guys are kind of probably be like, who the hell is this guy talking about? But Tyler Holton, he's thrown 59 and two-thirds innings this year, 53 strikeouts, 181 ERA, and a .91 whip. He's also added in uh, one win and one save, both of those coming over the last two weeks. Top 100 player, again, according to Yahoo's algorithm. So another guy that is pretty interesting, I think, uh, in some of your formats, if you are a team that wants to go relief pitcher heavy, Tyler Holton of the Tigers has done it very well so far this season. Another guy that you'll be more familiar with is Matt Strom of the Philadelphia Phillies. He's worked as a starter. He's worked in relief as well this season. He's been a top 80 player. A lot of that does come back to the fact that he has eight wins, but he's also given you over the course of the season a 344 ERA and a 1.02 whip. If you're looking over the last month, 14 innings, 14 strikeouts, a 193 ERA, and a .93 whip as well with a couple of victories there coming in relief. Another guy that is kind of just flown under the radar, only 22% rostered. 
And the last one here that I'm going to recommend is Ryan Walker. And I do have to shout out uh, Tyler London, a.k.a. Backpick Fantasy uh, on Twitter. He is one of our contributors here at Sports Ethos. You guys know him. He was on our show on the trade deadline day. Uh, He pointed out Ryan Walker in a tweet. It was either yesterday or the day before. And just looking at his stats, he's been excellent. If you're looking at over the last month, he's thrown 20 innings. He's coming in. Sometimes he'll go a couple innings. Uh, the other day it was two innings, a shutout ball, four strikeouts. Sometimes it'll just be for an inning or less, but it's been really good as of late. Those over the last month, top 50 production, 20 and a third innings, 21 strikeouts, a 133 ERA and a .84 whip for the season a 228 ERA and a 1.2 whip. The whip is a touch high there, but really not that bad at all uh, when you're looking at the fact that he's giving you 48 Ks over 43 innings and a 228 ERA. Again, really kind of sneaky uh, waiver wire guy, starting pitcher and relief pitcher eligible, only 7% rostered in Yahoo leagues. I think that there is decent value in having one or two of these guys on your roster. Not to say that you fill up your roster with guys of this nature because you're not going to be able to you know compete for wins and strikeouts regularly but one or two of them to help uh, reduce your ratios give you the odd win the odd save whether you're talking head-to-head or you're talking roto i think there's a lot of value there in points leagues not so much but in your um in your roto slash category leagues i think there is a lot of value in a guy uh, like any of these guys uh, joel piams tyler holton matt strom and ryan walker all of them I think, are really, really valuable. Uh, Cattell Marte or Zach Geloff, rest of season 12 team. It's a head-to-head category redraft. This one is tricky. Um, I'd have to go with Cattell Marte just by a hair. Again, you're talking about a dude who does play for a much better team and a much better lineup. Even though they haven't been as good of late, you're still talking about an overall. We're talking about the Oakland A's on the other side of it. The worst team in baseball. It's not particularly close. Maybe it was kind of close with the Royals there for a little while, but Oakland is pretty clearly the worst team in the majors. Arizona on the other side has struggled, but they've still got a very talented lineup, and Marte is usually right at the top of that order, either batting first or second, playing every single day. He's been not as great recently, but still over the course of the season, you're looking at nearly a top 50 player. 75 runs, 19 homers, 6 steals, a 278 clip. That's a really great season. Over the last month or so, it's been kind of cooled off a little bit. Uh, you're looking over the last you know, 30 days, we're talking 102 at-bats. He's batting 265, four homers, 16 driven in. It's not terrible. Um, I, I think that it's you could go Geloff, but I think at the same time, Geloff has kind of been performing to the best he could possibly be at this point and probably overshooting what he is realistically going to do for you. Uh, eight homers, six steals over his first 100 at-bats is ridiculous. 277 batting average. He's been incredible. But I think this is kind of like the high point of his value now, to say the other one goes to the waiver wire, 12 team, I think you got to probably have somebody worse on a 12 team roster. Um, I'd have to go with Cattell if I had to choose there, but realistically, I wouldn't want to be dropping either of these uh, two guys. If I had to choose, I would choose Cattell just because I think that there is a higher floor where Geloff may have a higher ceiling. I don't know over the last few weeks of the season if he's going to be able to maintain this kind of production. You know, is he going to give you another? If you look at the projections, like if you go to fan graphs and look at the different projections the rest of the season, uh, they're they're not great for Geloff. They're like four homers, three steals, and a 230, 240 batting average. Something. Like it's really not great. I don't know if it'll be that bad. But then again, you kind of have to trust the guys who put it, these projections together over, you know, your gut instincts. And I think a lot of the time we'll get kind of 
you know, sucked into all oh, this guy's been excellent. He's just going to continue to be excellent. That's not always the case, especially in this bad of a lineup in Oakland. It wouldn't surprise me if Geloff does come back to earth a little bit. So long story short, uh, I'm going to take a tell Marte there. Uh, Royce Lewis or Willie Adamas. I have to gamble here on Royce Lewis. I think Willie Adamas is kind of interesting because he, so he took a, a break. He took a, a mental break here. Uh, it was like a couple of days during the Colorado series last week to try to get himself right. It had been a horrible stretch for him. Now since he's come back, he's hitting four straight games. He does have a home run. He scored a couple times. He's driven in three. It's been not a bad week for him. You know, he is four for 15 over the course of the week. 267 clip. That's not bad. Um, I think I'd still probably take the gamble on Royce Lewis here. I, I know that, you know, Adamus is more of a track record there, but Lewis in the limited time that we've seen this year has been really impressive. You know, the, like I mentioned, four home runs and a 326 average in 95 at bats. You know, he stole a base. That's really good. Uh, Willie Adamus over the course of the season, even if he does kind of get it going a little bit now, what is that even going to necessarily mean? He's He's been the 203 hitter this season. The power hasn't really been there, hasn't been stealing bases. The lineup around him isn't amazing, so the counting stats are really down. I think I'd probably take a gamble on uh, Royce Lewis here. I think that does make more sense. You're also getting third base and shortstop eligibility uh, in a few different formats as opposed to just shortstop. Uh, where we're talking with Adamus, let me just take a look at Royce Lewis and just double-check uh, his eligibility here because he may have just shortstop in a couple of them. Um, but let me just double-check. So this season, uh, no, he he would have third base uh, in, a, in pretty much every format that he's played there uh, 24 times this year. Just only one time, I guess because of Correa, it's only one appearance at short, uh, two at DH. Uh, so he does have that advantage over Adamus as well, which I didn't even consider before, but that just adds another kind of you know plus side for Lewis on that end of the equation. So he is the guy that I would go with there, uh, Royce Lewis over Willie Adamus rest of season. Uh, for first base, Jammer Candelario, Tristan Cassis, Christian Encarnacion Strand, or Joey Manessis. This is a 12-teamer head-to-head. I go with Cassis ever so slightly over Candelario. You, I mean, you could honestly kind of flip a coin there between those two, but the way that Cassis has been producing over the last month, nearly top 50 player, eight homers, he's batting 325. Uh, he's been outstanding. Now, Candelario has been very good as well, but I don't know that there's as much upside. I know it's a limited time frame right here, but I don't know that there's, there's not as much power uh, with Candelario. I mean, the batting average is probably in the long run going to be pretty close. Counting stats are probably going to be pretty close. Again, the whole the whole thing, I think, is, is a very close question, but I'd ever so slightly lean to Tristan Cassis there. Uh, 12 team, this is uh, head-to-head rest of season. So for a catcher, we have Francisco Alvarez, Kyber Ruiz, or Gabriel Moreno. I have to go with Ruiz, just the way he's been swinging the bat right now, and I did say when I answered this over on Twitter that this – could end up blowing back in my face with Alvarez because the power is just ridiculous. He could get hot, and he could go on a streak and hit like 10 home runs over the final three weeks of the season. But right now, Ruiz is a top 100 player, top 90 player over the last month, batting 344, five home runs. He's even stolen a base, which is not going to be regular for him, but he's had a really productive uh, last month, and I think you, he's the guy you kind of have to go with, roll with the hot hand at this point of the season. Uh, you know, 12 team. I'm assuming this is a one catcher format with these guys on the wire. If he does falter, then there is room. Like I mentioned earlier, it was a 10 team we were talking about earlier, but there are a lot of options on the waiver wire. 
uh, in terms of catchers in a one catcher, 10 or 12 team league. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in the industry talk about NFBC leagues and two catcher 15 team leagues where 30 catchers are rostered. And every now and then somebody will sneak one in on their bench or whatever. So you're talking like 31, 32 catchers are on rosters. That's not the case for a lot of people playing fantasy baseball. A lot of the time, you know, there's only 10 to maybe, you know, if you're in a 12 team league, maybe people have a backup. Maybe there's one or two in a utility or whatever. You're talking at most 13, 14, maybe 15 catchers are going to be on roster. So there's a lot more options for you. I take Ruiz for now. If he does cool off considerably, then I would go and look to the waiver wire and replace him. But I think that Ruiz should have some rest of season value for sure. Uh, Vaughn Grissom, who got called up today, or Mikel Garcia. Mike, I think it might be Michael Garcia, in all honesty. I, I've been known to butcher some names here on the show, and I think I've probably butchered a couple today. Uh, so Vaughn Grissom did get called up with the brutal news for a couple of my teams that Ozzy Albies is going on the IL. Now, Vaughn Grissom, I'm not sure. Nicky Lopez has been playing, and he's been pretty good. So maybe he gets some of the time. Maybe they do kind of some lefty-righty platoons there. It wouldn't shock me to see uh, them do something like that. Lopez, you know, just looking at this week, he's 7 for 10. He's got a home run. He scored uh, four runs. He's driven in eight, and he's stolen a base. <laughs> it's ridiculous what he's done uh, since coming to Atlanta. That's obviously not going to sustain, but it could lead the Braves to give him some at-bats over Vaughn Grissom. When Grissom was up earlier this season, he was not particularly impressive at all. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but 65 at-bats, he did not have a home run. He did not have a steal. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Uh, he did bat 277. But overall, he wasn't the greatest, and he didn't last very long in the bigs this season. I think that they're probably going to give him more of the run than Lopez, but I don't know that he's going to have that much of an asset as a platoon pad at the bottom of the order, even though it's a great order. I think I'll take uh, Mikel Garcia there, top of the order, getting at-bats, albeit in the polar opposite kind of lineup, but at least you're getting every day at-bats at the top of an order. Uh, he is the guy that I would go with there. Uh, last question we got for today is how concerned are you with Corbett Carroll and his second half struggles? It looks like he changed his swing since the injury and now holds on to the bat with two hands during his follow through instead of one. This is something that I actually hadn't noticed and I'm going to have to take a look at it at some point because Corbin Carroll is one of my favorite players. Uh, I'm going to go and take a look at some old clips. I'll go to YouTube. I'll go to MLB.com or something and, and try and take a look at some pre-injury versus post-injury swings because there were some shoulder problems with Corbin Carroll. I think even a couple times this year that shoulders acted up on him. But in terms of his second-half struggles, you can attribute some of that to the shoulder, I'm sure. But I think also part of it is just the league has kind of caught up with him a little bit. They were trying to figure out how to work him uh, over the first half of the season because he is just one of those players that does require you to actually game plan for him. And teams were kind of just seeing him for the first time and figuring him out now that they have seen him a few different times, especially if you're those teams in the National League who he does play more often now that he's seen pretty much all of them at least once this season. Uh, probably he has seen all of them at once at one point this season. I'm not looking, <clears throat> but they have access to all those stats anyway. Uh, I think it is just the fact that these teams um, just kind of are figuring out, they're exploiting weaknesses in his game that he is going to have to, again, adjust back to. Maybe there is also something to go uh, with, you know, the shoulder is still bothering him, so he has kind of altered his swing, and that might be part of it as well. But at the end of the day, I'm not overly concerned here. Uh, this injury is not something that really caused him to miss any time. I think he might have missed like a day or two. Like there was really, if there was any kind of concern, you'd think now, unless the D-backs are just being idiots, uh, if they had any kind of concern about their young, what is he, 23-year-old superstar player of the future, MVP kind of type player going forward, then they wouldn't have put him back out there. So I don't think that the injury is too big of a concern. It's obviously not something I love. 
but I don't think I need to be too worried about it. Even though he hasn't been hitting the ball particularly well over the last month, the production has still been very good. He is still, over that last month, we're looking at 93 at-bats. He's batting 204, which is no good. Before, he was you know close to a 300 hitter. Now his batting average of the year is down to 269. But in the last month, still has three home runs, still has 10 stolen bases. He has scored 20 runs in the last month, and he has 11 RBIs as well. So he's the 83rd-ranked player in that time, according to Yahoo. It's not great, but if that's what a bad month is going to look like for Corbin Carroll then I don't think we need to be too concerned. He's still, according to their algorithm, and it might be, it'll be different if you look Rasball in different places, but he's the number 10-ranked player for the season in standard categories. I mean, that's, that's pretty okay. Before, now he was, you know, like I think as high as fourth or third maybe for a little while, and then he was hovering in the mid, like six to eight range. Now he's at 10. It's pretty damn okay, though, uh, all things considered, for his pretty much first crack at the big leagues. I know he had 100 at-bats last year. But this has been a pretty damn impressive rookie showing for Corbin Carroll. The league is kind of catching up and adjusting to him. I have no doubt in my mind that he'll adjust back, and we'll see that same early season kind of Corbin Carroll. Uh, Maybe this season he doesn't get that batting average back up. Maybe he is for the rest of the season like a 220, 230 kind of hitter, and he ends up as like a 260 guy. I think you know we're going to take that considering the fact that he's likely going to be looking at about 25 to 28 home runs and probably 45 stolen bases. Uh, you know we'll take that for a rookie showing, even if that means the league is quote unquote caught up with him, which I think they might be catching up with him. Uh, but he's so good; he is just so ridiculously talented. I really don't have really that many uh, that much concern, I should say, going forward. The shoulder—it's not something I like to see, but the fact that he's been out there. Leads me to believe it's not that serious. So I'll take a look at the shoulder, or not the shoulder, excuse me, the hands on the follow-through. We'll talk about that maybe uh, another time on the show. We'll take a look at that. But I do appreciate you pointing that out. Uh, But that'll be it for today, guys. I really appreciate all the questions and the discourse uh, that we have back and forth here on Twitter or X, whatever the hell you're calling it. I'm still calling it Twitter. I don't see any need to call it X. I think it's a stupid name. People know it as Twitter anyway. It was a ridiculous rebranding. It makes it look like a porn site for a lot of people. Uh, you know, if you've seen those tweets or those zeets or whatever the hell of people getting the premium blue, whatever the hell, and it'll say X premium on their credit card, and people's wives are saying, "What the hell is going on here?" Uh, so there's, there's weird, weird shit like that that's kind of just <laughs> confusing the hell out of people and getting guys into trouble. Uh, maybe some girls too. Who knows? Uh, but I'm still calling it Twitter. You can find me there at Joe Rico ninety nine. At Ethos Fantasy BB, that is where we post all of our podcasts, articles, different news and notes, and everything of that nature. And if you're not somebody who uses the app, whatever you want to call it anymore, then you can go to sportsethos.com and get all of that same great content over there with basketball and football right around the corner. I would definitely recommend checking out the website. We have a great mix of free and paid content for both the average Joe, like myself, (laughs) the average Joe, and for our subscribers. We have a ton of great stuff across all of our major sports. So that'll do it for me for today. We'll be back at you tomorrow. We'll talk about some news. We'll talk about some trending topics, and we'll see what else is going on in the baseball world. But until then, have a great night, everybody. Take care. We'll see you tomorrow. Cheers.